Let's bow our heads and let's pray one more time. Lord God, we thank you so much for this evening. I thank you, Lord, that um, we can come together and just be reminded of your great love, the price you paid for us. And Lord, may you, your spirit speak to us, be in the words, Lord God, in our hearts, in our minds. And Lord, may you be glorified. We thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Is it worth it? Maybe you asked yourself that tonight. Is it worth it? Is it worth the cost? That's something that we ask ourselves on a daily basis. Is something worth it? Is it worth the price to pay? Right? Is it worth $10 to buy hamburger? Is it worth it that much? Is it worth $20 to pay for a movie ticket? right? Is it worth paying $1,000 for a new phone, right? We make all these kind of decisions on a daily basis. Is something worth the price? Is it worth buying something brand new, or is it still worth it buying something used? Is, is it worth buying something that's flawed, that's already been used up? The value of something, is it worth the same value if it's shiny new or if it's scarred and marred and beaten up and already been used a thousand times over? How much is something worth? How much are you worth? Maybe as you, if, if you're an adult, you've calculated your net worth. You look at your accounts, you look at your possessions, you look at all those things, and you know what your worth is. Maybe someday as you go along the line, those are something you think about. Maybe you think about what is your most valued possession? How much is that worth? Maybe you think about how much is your children worth? Now, if you're calculating in your mind a number, okay, shame on you, right? If you're, if you're calculating, well, how much is my kid worth? No, no, no. The answer is priceless, Right? That's the correct answer. And if you're a parent and you've already, you have multiple kids, and in that split-second moment, you're already calculating your worth of one child compared to the other child, compared to the other child, shame on you, don't do that either, right? We're not about calculating that kind of dollar amount. But you think about it. How much is someone or something worth? How much would you pay for yourself? Thought about that. How much would I pay for myself? Worth, value, price, cost. We measure that on a daily basis. We think about that on a daily basis. Have we thought about what am I worth in God's eyes? What am I worth in God's eyes? We're going to see the answer to that question today in our message. If you want to remember the setting, we're in Mark, so it happens to fall on Good Friday. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Mark chapter 15. And just to remind us of the setting, remind us of why we come together on Friday, this what we call Good Friday. Here's the setting and the backdrop. If you remember, if you've been with us this past couple Sundays, 
right? Jesus has been wrongfully accused. He stood trial for false accusations. He was accused of blasphemy. He stood on trial, and he was convicted wrongfully. He was convicted for the truth, right? He was convicted, he was sentenced because him being the king of the Jews. We saw the last couple weeks how he stood trial and he took the beating. And so all this happened on the day of preparation for the Passover, right? The Jews were celebrating Passover and it was the day when the lamb was prepared to be sacrificed so that the family that evening would have the Passover meal together. That's the backdrop. We've been seeing that last couple weeks, last few messages. And so as the lambs are being killed for the Passover meal, here we will see Jesus hanging on the cross. And of course, we know all these things are going on, right? We've looked at how all the events and everything that led to this moment of Jesus on the cross. While all this played out, right? We know there's something bigger happening, right? All this stuff is playing out, but there's something bigger happening. The Father's plan of salvation is unfolding. God knew what was going to happen. This was his plan. This is the way. Now, this is not a, that's not a, a reference to Mandalorian. I knew people were going to think that, right? That's not. They stole it from Scripture. They stole it from the Christians. When the church came together, they were known as the way, the people of the way, the followers of the way. Because, see, this was the way that God had planned for salvation to be given. So I wasn't trying to make a, a pun or a reference, but I knew we we're thinking, oh, Mandalorian. No, 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 they stole it, right? This was God's way. Because Jesus had to pay the price of a ransom, the price for a slave, the price for liberation, the price for a life. That's what Jesus had to pay for. What was the cost? How much is a broken life worth? What is the cost for forgiveness of sin? What is the cost, the price for liberation, freedom of sin? For a fuller picture, if you want a fuller view of, of the crucifixion, Jesus being on the cross, you can refer to Matthew 27, Luke 23, John chapter 19, all the other gospel accounts, they have different details that you put it all together, you see a fuller narrative. Mark's account of the, of the crucifix is very kind of brief, and as we've seen throughout Mark, it's kind of action-packed, boom, boom, boom kind of stuff. But if you want a fuller description of what takes place, you can see Matthew 27, Luke chapter 23, John 19. But we're going to focus on Mark right here in Mark chapter 15, and we're going to start it in verse 22. Mark 15, verse 22. And they brought him to the place of, Go of Golgotha, which is translated place of a skull. And they tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. 
And they crucified him and divided up his garments among themselves, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And they crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And he was numbered with transgressors. And those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads and saying, Ha! You who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes, were mocking him among themselves and saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let this Christ, the King of Israel, now come down from the cross so that we may see and believe. And those who were crucified with him were casting the same insult at him. And when the sixth hour had come, darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And when some of the bystanders heard it, they began saying, Behold, he's calling for Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave him drinks, saying, Let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who was standing right in front of him saw the way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. And there were also some women looking on from a distance among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James the Less and Joseph and Salome or Salome. And when he was in Galilee, they used to follow him and minister to him. And there were many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem. And when evening had already come, because it was the preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea came, a prominent member of the council, who himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. And he gathered up courage and went in before Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And Pilate wondered if he was dead by this time, and summoning the centurion, he questioned him as to whether he was already dead. And ascertaining this from the centurion, he granted the body to Joseph. And Joseph brought a linen cloth, took him down, wrapped him in the linen cloth, and laid him in a tomb which had been hewn out of the rock. And he rolled the stone against the entrance of the, of the tomb. And Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph were looking on to see where he was laid. Now I want to touch on some important details. It's interesting that the four Gospels clearly wanted to emphasize about what took place. There's some details that all the Gospels 
clearly wanted to make very clear about Jesus. The first thing was that Jesus was crucified. Mark wanted to make sure it was understood that Jesus was crucified. In fact, just in this chapter alone, Mark mentions eight times that Jesus was crucified. Three more times that he mentions that he was crucified on the cross. The gospel writers wanted to make it clear. For any skeptics or anyone who questioned that, it's not even a question, even among secular scholars, that Jesus was crucified. You had secular sources who verified, who attested that Jesus was crucified. Not only was he crucified, but the gospel writers wanted to make it clear where Jesus was crucified. He was crucified on the place of the skull. A place that they were known. They wanted to make sure not only was he crucified, but where was he crucified. And then also who Jesus was crucified with. All the gospels attest that he was crucified with two criminals. These are two criminals who were known to be criminals. They were rightfully convicted. They were insurrectionists. You remember Barabbas, who was released. He was an insurrectionist. But the people cried out, release him, crucify Jesus. So here's two robbers, which is interesting because it really fulfills a prophecy in Isaiah 53, 12. He poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. So it's amazing how these things played out. Not only that, but they wanted to make it clear that when Jesus was crucified, it was on the day of preparation, preparing for the Passover. Mark gives a timeline. At the third hour, or it was 9 a.m., Jesus was crucified by 9 a.m., approximately then. In the sixth hour, darkness fell upon the land. And then by the ninth hour, around roughly 3 p.m., Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And in that hour breathed his last breath. He was crucified. Where was he crucified? Who he was crucified with? When he was crucified? And they made it clear why Jesus was crucified. If you notice, right, the inscription above his head, right, it would, they would put down, write down the charge of why the criminal was being crucified. And all four Gospels attest to the reason why Jesus was crucified. He was the king of the Jews. We know in the other gospel accounts, the, the, the chief priests are like, hey, we, we don't like the, way, the wording of this. But Pilate said, nope, we're keeping it. Right? This is the accusation you brought to me. This is what he's being charged for, the king of the Jews. So not only that, the gospel writers attest to who was witnessing the crucifixion. Who witnessed Jesus' crucifixion? 
And we see that in the Gospels, they account for there were other people who were witnessing to his crucifixion. We see the chief priests are there. The scribes are there. We see a centurion there. But we also see there were women there, women who followed Jesus in his ministry throughout Galilee, where they are at a distance witnessing Jesus' death, his crucifixion. We also know in John's account that John was there as well. So it's interesting that all four gospel accounts have these details, but there's these details that they were certain of. How, who, where, when, why, and who was there to witness. Last Sunday, we saw that Jesus endured brutal beatings. Not only did he endure brutal beatings that we cannot imagine, but he endured brutal mockery. He was being mocked repeatedly. And we see here that uh, we saw last week that the Jewish leaders mocked him, the Roman soldiers mocked him, and even here in the crucifixion, while he's on the cross, he's being mocked. Those who are passing by, who are there for the, for the Passover, as they pass by going into the city, they would see the people who were being crucified. And those who are passing by were throwing, hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads, saying, Ha! Look at you! You who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild three days, why don't you save yourself from the cross? We saw the chief priests and the scribes. They were mocking him the same way. In the same way, chief priests saying, you say you, you saved all these people. You can't even save yourself. If you're the Christ, if you're the so-called king of Israel, why don't you bring yourself down from the cross so that we may see and believe? And we saw even the criminals joined in on it, mocking Jesus as well. Are you not the Christ? If you're the Christ, why don't you save yourselves and us? Get us down from here also. Interesting. All four Gospels record Jesus' burial. The all sight that Joseph of Arimathea asked for Jesus' body, wrapped Jesus' body, and laid him in the tomb. And they also record that there were witnesses to Jesus' burial. The synoptics mentioned the women were there. Not only were they at the cross, but they witnessed Jesus being put in the tomb. The Gospel of John, John notes that it wasn't just Joseph, but Nicodemus also came and helped Joseph of Arimathea to entomb Jesus. Why is this important? So that we would know and make it clear all the details that Jesus, not only did he live, not only did he teach, not only did he do miracles, not only did he stand trial, not only was he innocent, took the place of the guilty, not only did he die on the cross, but also Jesus spoke from the cross 
Luke reports Jesus saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. And they cast a lots, dividing up his garments. The soldiers betting on or casting lots, who, which gets what piece of clothing? Imagine that, Jesus, on the cross, still saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Luke also mentions one of the thieves who was mocking him earlier must have realized, a light must have went on and said, no, wait, there's something different about him. There's something innocent about him. And he has a conversation, and Luke mentions Judas saying, or not Judas, Jesus saying to the other criminal, he says, truly I say to you, you shall be with me in paradise. Remember the robber, he looks at Jesus and says, remember me. And Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. Luke also mentions, the, he's saying to the Father, Father, into my hands I commit my spirit. The Apostle John mentions that Jesus talks to the Apostle John. He says, woman, behold your son, behold our mother or your mother. Jesus mentions, I am thirsty. Jesus says, it is finished. And of course, what we read in Mark and Matthew records it also. Jesus saying on the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I'm sure we've all heard that part before. And maybe you might have thought, why did Jesus say this? Why does Jesus say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? What does that mean? Was Jesus forsaken by the Father? And many believe this, many have taught this, because Jesus takes on the sin of the world, that he was forsaken by the Father. And of course, we sing that song, I'm forgiven, I won't sing it, but I'm forgiven because what? Because you were forsaken, right? We've heard that, taught that. I have a different interpretation of this, a different possible explanation. A possible explanation of what Jesus meant by this. And it doesn't require us to believe that Jesus was forsaken by the Father in the sense of abandonment or separation. What we know is that Jesus is quoting Psalm 22. He's quoting Psalm 22, the very first verse. We're going to take a look at it in a second. He quotes it, and for the chief priests, the scribes, any Jew who was there, they would have recognized it. Just like if you hear a, a, the start of a lyric to a song, right? You would recognize it because you know that song. So they, the hearers who were at the cross would know and recognize Psalm 22. They would have it in mind. And Psalm 22 is a psalm of David. And this psalm begins as a cry for help and deliverance. Look at what it says in verse 1. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? For far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but thou dost not answer. And by night, but I have no 
rest. The Hebrew word, therefore, forsaken, to leave behind, to let alone, abandon, forsake, or neglect. So here you see David, he's expressing this feeling. Ooh, I knew I shouldn't have sung. He expresses this feeling of being left alone. Feeling the sense of abandonment. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He feels deliverance is far from his groaning. He cries for deliverance day and night, but hears no answer. He experiences no rest. I'm sure many of us probably can relate to those feelings. Perhaps you can relate to similar feelings as David there. You're crying for help, and it seems like deliverance and help is far from your groaning. You're wondering, God, I don't see any help in sight. I don't hear any response from you when I cry out to you. I'm sure we can all relate to that in some time, in some manner, to some degree. We probably have all asked, does he even hear me? Help seems so far away. But see, despite feeling unheard and abandoned, David doesn't forget who God is. Look what it goes on in the next verse. Yet... Thou art holy, O thou, who art enthroned upon the praises of Israel. In thee our fathers trusted. They trusted, and thou didst deliver them. To thee they cried out and were delivered. In thee they trusted and were not disappointed. See, what David did here is what we often fail to do. In times of our desperation, we feel so desperate and so in need for help. We feel like help is so far away from us. What David does, he remembers who God is. Despite all that's going on, Lord, you are holy. And when our fathers cried out for deliverance, you delivered them. When they were in need, they trusted you and you delivered them. When they cried out for you, they trusted you and were not disappointed. You think about us and how often, how often do we truly struggle with that, don't we? How easily do we abandon faithfulness? How easily do we go to mistrust or distrust? We forget to trust in God when things get pressed on us and it gets hard, and we feel desperate, and we feel like God's not answering, and we say, God, I don't know if I can trust you anymore. What a vivid experience that we see. But here's where the psalm becomes more relevant to Jesus on the cross. Listen to this description of David's affliction. Verse 6. But I am a worm and not a man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All who see me sneer at me. They separate with the lip. 
they wagged a head saying, commit yourself to the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him because he delights in him. Does that sound familiar? Are you catching what David is describing? Doesn't it sound like how Jesus was mocked on the cross? Look, go back to Mark 15, 29. Those who are passing by, hurling insults at him, looking at him at the cross. Right? You say you're the Christ. You're the one. You save yourself. Where's God for you now? They're wagging their heads. Now, we don't wag our heads. And so maybe some do, right? Maybe you got the little, you know, you got, you got a little bit of flexibility in your neck. You can wag, wag your head at somebody. Usually we kind of point fingers, stick your tongue out, whatever it may be. But those who are looking at Jesus, mocking him, yeah, where's your God now? Where is he? We continue, Psalm 22. Again, listen to the description. Verse 11, be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Again, listen to what David's saying from the very first two verses. And now he's saying, be near to me, because it feels like I'm alone. feels like there's no one around. I am left alone. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They open wide their mouth at me as a ravening, ravening and a roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joints. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue cleaves to my jaws, and thou dost but lay me in the dust of earth. For dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers have encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look, they stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. This is David's psalm. We don't know any context of David that he experienced that fits this description. We don't know why David wrote this. We don't know of an experience where he felt this way, experienced these things. But you read the description, the experience, to the point of his bones being out of joints, and you look and you study about the crucifixion. Having to support the weight and all your weight on your joints. And having to lift up on your joints just to catch a breath. Lungs must have been burning. Heart failing. See, by citing the first verse, and all Jesus had to do is cite that first verse. Jesus boldly declaring from the cross that he is fulfilling this mysterious psalm of David. He's surrounded by his enemies. They cry out against him. 
His bones are out of joint. His heart like wax melted within him. He's thirsty and evildoers surround him. His hands and feet are pierced, though his bones are still intact. His clothes are even being divided by lot. Isn't it amazing? So Jesus saying, by declaring, my God, my God, what he's doing, he's declaring this psalm for all those who hear. Bringing to remembrance Psalm 22. Now once again, for the final time, we've mentioned, we've looked at Mark before. Throughout Mark, if we remember how Jesus cites the Old Testament, and I've told you guys before, he doesn't just pull out quotes to make it sound good, right? He's not putting up a meme for everyone to just uh, have a nice little quote. He's also citing context. We've seen that throughout Mark. He's not just pulling a quote, he's citing a context. And by Jesus citing this context in Psalm, not only is he saying, I am the fulfillment of what David experienced, but he's pointing judgment at those who are on looking, looking on, those chief priests who surround him around the cross, ridiculing and mocking him. You have fulfilled that role of evildoers, just like that psalm. I don't believe Jesus was crying out to the Father, and this is just my opinion. I don't believe he was crying out to the Father from being abandoned by the Father. I imagine Jesus felt alone because he alone bore this weight of the cross. Jesus alone bore the weight of the sin of the world. But it's interesting, the significance does not stop there. See, Psalm 22 is not just a psalm of, of, of a cry for deliverance. It's not just a psalm for lament. It's a psalm of deliverance, a declaration of hope and praise. Look what David says in verse 22. I will tell of thy name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise thee. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you descendants of Israel, for he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. Neither has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him, for help, he heard. Let me read that again. He has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, neither has he hidden his face from him, but when he cried to him for help, he heard. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will worship before thee. For the kingdom is the Lord's and he rules over the nations. See, it's amazing. The psalm begins as a cry for deliverance, a cry for help, a cry out of suffering. But as David learned... The father did not abandon him. He did not close his ears to David's cries. The psalm ends as a song of deliverance and promise. And this is the message of the cross. 
This is the message of the cross. Out of the cross, the afflicted shall be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Their hearts shall live forever. It says all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And the nations shall worship before the Father. It's amazing to see Jesus, he was mocked for not saving himself on the cross, right? Jesus was mocked for not saving himself on the cross. But he was, it wasn't because he couldn't. It was because he wouldn't. Jesus was not on the cross to save himself, but to save sinners like you and me. He was not crucified for his salvation to prove that he can save himself. He was crucified for our salvation. That we would be able to go and praise the Lord. As Jesus stood on trial on our behalf, he stood in our place and he hung on the cross in our place. He was condemned for sin and shame, but not his shame, for our shame, for our deliverance. Mark 10, remember we covered this verse a long time ago. Jesus saying to the disciples, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. I mentioned price, cost earlier, right? What is the price of those who are enslaved to sin? What is the price for a broken life? What's the value of a broken life? What's the cost of forgiveness? What's the cost of freedom from sin? What is that price for a new life? If you can have a new life, a new beginning, how much would you pay? How much are you willing to say, you know what, I will give you like a hundred bucks. A hundred bucks isn't going to do anything. It's not going to barely give you a new wardrobe, right? The price for our forgiveness was the blood of Christ. The price for our freedom was paid on the cross. His life was a ransom for our behalf. Our price tag, talk about price tag, our price tag was his life. I don't know about you, but I got to let that soak in a little bit. It's interesting how many times we may struggle, many of us may struggle about our worth. What What are we worth? Are we worth anything? And maybe you feel that way because of your own feelings, a sense of abandonment. Maybe abandoned by other people. Other people made you feel alone. Maybe other people have made you question your worth. Maybe other people have made you question 
whether you can have a new life, that you could start again, or that you're even worth the time. We struggle with those things. And yet the message of the cross, your creator, Jesus says, your value and worth is paid with my life. The blood that I shed for you. Now we know why the Gospels made it clear. Yes, Jesus was real. He stood trial, innocent. He was crucified for the truth. He was buried. He was dead. There was witnesses. But as what we'll see Sunday, there were also witnesses of his resurrection. I want to end with this. I want to end with this note. I'm sure most of us here would describe yourselves as Christians, you're, you're believers, you're baptized, you know the Lord, you all those, you know, all those things. And I don't know everybody here, and I don't know if you or if you're watching or whatever it is or listening, whatever it may be. I don't know where your heart's at. And I don't know if you're waiting to kind of prove to yourself that you're ready to have faith in Christ. I don't know if you're trying to wait to, to be absolutely certain that Jesus is real and that he died and he was crucified and he rose again. I don't know if you're trying to wait for certainty. But what I hope throughout their time in Mark, we realize these were men and women who were with Jesus, traveled with Jesus, heard Jesus, touched, heard with their own ears, saw what he did, witnessed his death, witnessed his crucifixion, witnessed his burial, and witnessed his resurrection and gave their lives for the truth. And I don't know what you may be waiting for, but I just want to end with this note. The cross shows us your value and worth in God's eyes. That's how much you're worth. That's how much he loves you. He gave you with his life freedom, forgiveness, grace, and mercy for you to receive. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. In a minute, we'll take part in communion together. And I recognize some of us here are baptized, some of us here are not, some of us are professing believers, some of us are not. But I want you to just take a moment before the Lord. And if you're sitting there or you're listening or you're watching, whatever it may be, and you're struggling to reconcile your worth 
in receiving God's love, receiving his forgiveness, The message of the cross is clear. He loves you. He died for you. He wants to forgive you. You need to humble yourself before him. Say, Lord, I need your forgiveness. I need to be made whole. I may not have all the answers, but Lord, may I surrender my life to you.